Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 88 of the Corona Diaries, the first one of 2022 and Steve H, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Anthony. Happy New Year, listeners, irrespective of your colour. And by that, I'm not talking about your skin. I'm talking about whether you're purple or not. (laughs) Some other (laughs) colour. I listened to the first bit of that and I thought, oh, shit. But, you, but, but of course, it's a, it's a fair point. Purple or not, we don't care. We don't care. We, we don't. We don't. Well, gra- we do. We do care about the purples because you're lovely. We're grateful if you're purple. But if you're not, it's either because you're not or because you're not. In which yeah. case, that's fine too. All fine too. Happy New Year to you all. Happy New Year. Everybody, everywhere. Yes. Yes, yeah, indeed. This is almost getting Tiny Tim-esque. Yeah. God bless us all. Yes, Michael yes, Jackson well. standing on the top of a mountain, the wind in his hair, loving the world. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we're done then for 88. I don't think we're going to get any better than that. Should we, should we leave it alone? Probably yeah. going to have to edit, edit all that out, really. Oh, no, I, I think we're fine. We're right. you know, I, think, I think we're all right with all of that. Um, we're... Uh, I probably should have some housekeeping, but do you know what? I've not looked at it. So all, all I do know is we've had lots of very nice comments about Oxford, which is great, and lots of nice comments about Christmas bollocks with Chris Neal, um, which was great as well. Yes. Um, you know, and the only thing I think that came back, which we did mention in the, the, the Q&A, we, not the Q&A, the odds and sods we did, um, was that the TV Times and the Radio Times didn't used to list each other's channels. That's why people had both. Um, so for everybody that didn't hear the Oz and Sodcast, we did clear up that little mystery. So up until I think it was 1991 or something, mm-hmm. uh, the Radio Times had the BBC in it, the TV Times had ITV, and that's why you had both. Mm. That's, why my mo- that's why my mother had both. Yes. I think. Well, she always needed to be informed, didn't she? she oh, she was, very, um, she was a very resourceful lady, my mother. Very good with the crosswords, you know, knew how to spell everything if you needed. How do you spell? Uh, I always mm. used to spell amount with two M's. Did you? She used to slap me for that. Oh. only got one. Oh, yes, of course, Mother. But she always knew <laughs> when it was time for songs of praise and when it was time for the wrestling. Yeah, she did. She did. She did. And you can't ask much more than that, really, from your mother? No, no, my mother was a resourceful woman. Um, we're going to kick off the new year, kick off the new year's TCD with, we've got a load of questions left from the live stream. Oh. Uh, and if you oh. saw the, the Oxford show, we did a few questions live kind of after the interval. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I've got, a, I've got loads left. <laughs> Mosley sent me a lovely photograph of him as Scrooge hanging out of a window <laughs> that same night. Did you see it? I I'll didn't you. see that. Oh. Maybe I should stick it on Instagram. Oh, you've got to put that on Instagram. It's there with the night with the nightgown and the you know the hat with the tassel <laughs> and everything with the sunglasses on, <laughs> leaning out the window. Oh, that was a great question. That really <laughs> was a great question. Uh, yeah, I was uh. I was set up. Yeah, I thought I did it really well. I was set up. I can I can say now I did actually fix that question. I I knew that question was had to be in, right. so I did fix that. So you know that wasn't quite the miracle of, te- of 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 live streaming. I did actually set you up with that one, but it's too good a question. It's too good a question. Anyway, <laughs> on to the others. On to the others. Sarah Barton 
Uh, and this is a mix of people who were there on the night and who sent questions in beforehand. So, Sarah Barton, uh, what made you decide on a French bulldog? Ah, well, as, as, as so many domestic decisions are, um, I just get told what's going to happen. Um, and, and, and the French bulldog was no exception. Um, we've got an only child, you know, Emil vibes. Uh, that sounds like two people already. But those two people are an only child. And um, he wanted a he wanted a dog, and I'd kept going no, 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 no. And uh, Lynetta was going, oh well, I've always had a dog, and let's have a dog. So my arm was kind of twisted behind me back. Um, I obviously. Well, not necessarily obviously, but those who who know me um, or know my life well, which probably is just about all the listeners, will know that I had a bulldog when I was a little boy. Uh, It belonged to my grandmother uh, when she lived up in Kendall, uh, Peter the Bulldog, um, who gets a mention in uh, This Strange Engine, of course. Um... And so we couldn't really have a bulldog because they they just dribble all day long and eat four tons of meat every day, and just generally wreck everything. Um, and uh, we're both a bit too house proud for that, and I'm too too tight to 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 pay for it. So uh, French bulldogs are a lot smaller, and. Um, Lynetta found, you know, was, she was sort of checking out the temperaments of various dogs and how much energy energy they had and how much exercise they needed. And so we erred on the on the side of a French bulldog mainly because we found out that, that it wouldn't go out if it was raining, and that <laughs> suited us down to the ground. Um, and it, and it is kind of true when it's pissing it down. Boots shows no interest at all in going for a walk. You can open the door, she looks through it and kind of goes, hmm, and walks back in. <laughs> Bugger that. Um, so in that sense, she's quite she's quite a, a good dog to have in uh, you know for for a lazy person who doesn't like a lot of walking. Um, and I think Lynetta was thinking mainly of me. At that point, so that's that's kind of why, really, um, we have a French bulldog. But you you just mentioned temperament. Yeah, yeah. Well, she has got pretty good temperament. I mean, she sleeps a lot. She's not like a spaniel. She's not kind of zipping around like a dervish all day long and causing chaos. She's not like a Labrador in the sense that uh, you know Labradors will eat anything that you leave lying around. Um, she's quite well behaved with with that sort of thing. You can go out and leave a sandwich on the table; it'll still be there when you come back. Um, but she, you, you know, she'll eat it out of your hand in a blinking heartbeat. She's she's always hungry, like like all other dogs. But she's quite she's quite well disciplined for the most part. Right. I mean, she has her faults. <laughs> 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 she just tried to rip the face off any passing dog. That was the um, bit I was trying to get to. But uh, we're, we're, we're hoping that with a combination of vast expense and the passing of time, she will mellow a little bit. Right. Right. Okay. So other than ripping the face off other dogs, <laughs> she's got a great temperament. Yes. She, she, she doesn't attack people, which is very good. Right. In fact, she's more like a cat, really, than a dog. She's like a cat with a dog wrapped around it because she shows almost no affection to you. She doesn't get excited about much except food um, and uh, she's just sort of indifferent. I get up in the morning or I come back if I've been out and go, hello, do all the things you do when you've got a dog and she just sort of turns around, points her ass at me, sighs and wanders off. <laughs> so she's not overly affectionate. <laughs> well, as long as she's not sighing with her ass, you're fine, probably. <laughs> oh, she does a lot of that. <laughs> does she? Right? Terrible okay. wind, yes. Yeah, terrible and constant wind. Right, okay. <laughs> all right. 
Um, Robert Harling, who's in Barnsley. <laughs> Good lad, Robert. Um, are there more of your song lyrics that would lend themselves to be delivered as the spoken word? A spoken word, I can't even say it. Spoken word. I thought a few words for the dead worked extremely well. Well, I'd like to feel that most of them would, to be honest. Mm. Um, you know, even this... I, I was tempted to to recite the release because I know you'd, you'd pointed out to me one day that you liked... You'd never really listened to the words. No, I then, hadn't. I hadn't. And, and then when you did, you thought, oh, hang on a bit, this is a bit more than a pop song. Yeah. Um, the lyrics in the release aren't actually easy to hear, if that makes sense. Right. When when you listen to the song, you don't. It, they don't. You know, some lyrics just are very obvious, and you can hear them straight away. And 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 somehow in the release, they they seemed a little bit more. I don't know. Not quite as obvious. Maybe it's just me. Covered up in noise. Maybe yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, th- I I do. Um, I put quite a lot of thought and time and effort into into the lyrics, and so I think. I think any of them, to be honest, would stand up spoken as well as they stand up sung. Mm. Maybe you could do that instead of the Croomcast today. Maybe you could do the lyrics of the release instead of the Croomcast. All right, then. That's not a bad idea, That's is it? got me off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't meant to. <laughs> It'd be nice to spend less than three and a half days on the Croomcast. Well, how that, how's that going to work with your with your two hour prog crooncast? Yes, <laughs> the jaws of Omicron. The jaws of Omicron. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, Catherine Bolt. Oh. Ah. And I'm going to get this pronunciation wrong, though it looks fairly straightforward. It's it's Bolt. <laughs> no, not her pronunciation. <laughs> oh, I see. There's one coming. Are you familiar with the work of Michael Mara? And I'm assuming it's Michael Mara. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally different as singers, but I think they're both very original songwriters who are great storytellers. Oh, no, not at all. And ne- neither am I, funnily enough. I was how hoping you, you were. How do you spell it? Uh, M-A-R-R-A. Could, could be Mara. Oh, Maybe right. more like a Cockney kind of Mara. Uh, so I think it's probably Mara. Hmm. Mara, Mara, Mara. Now then, Mara. Me <laughs> <laughs> Mara. Um, Catherine, you've, you've stumped us both, but we'll when, probably see if we can find out a bit about Michael, Mara or Mara. Yes, that uh, that's a short answer then, isn't it? No, yeah. we, oh. we, we did, we're not familiar with his work, either no. of us. No, no. But, but we'll check him out. Um, David and Tobias, who mm. are in Hamburg. Yay. Um, how do you cope with having to sing lyrics that clearly came out of a place when you felt miserable without getting dragged back into that mindset too much? Um, I suppose I've got used to it over the years and, and I do think the point of the point of singing a, the kind of songs I write is, is that I should be there, I should be back in that place. Um and so I do. I do. I do. I wouldn't say that I, I get dragged back there. I I, I I go there because I feel that's the point, um, and that that's part of the honesty of of it, you know. And if you don't go back there, then you're kind of being dishonest. Mm. And why the hell did you write it anyway if you if you never wanted to go back and say it? And of course, th- there have been a couple of lyrics over the years that um, have been really uncomfortable to return to and then I've been a bit more reticent about doing the songs live um, and then I've kind of come round to it a bit and and come to terms with it a bit. It's a bit like, um, I mean this may sound a little bit dramatic but it's like a, a sort of bereavement, to be honest. So it is like returning to a death sometimes. Um, but over the years, you, you know, you can do that, can't you? Mm. Um, it's raw at the beginning and then you you find you can go back there and, and perhaps even, you know, the, the, there is something cathartic about it. Um I don't analyse it too much, but people often say to me that, 
you know, is it is it is it cathartic to be writing this stuff? You know, when you or for anyone, you know, if you've been in if you've been in pain, to express it in art can often help. You know, paint a picture of it, um, throw the colours, use the pain, and all of that. Um, I don't know if it's cathartic, but I am I am very lucky that um, <laughs> that I could make a few quid out of it. Out of it, you know. <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. Um, <laughs> I just couldn't help it. I'm lucky that I can I can express the things that have really rattled me over the years. Uh, I'm also lucky that I can sort of protest as well and and point out injustices where I see them you know elsewhere in the world um and I'm very lucky that I've arrived in this place where I can just say what I feel and the knowledge that it'll be appreciated for what it is by by the people who listen to me they don't have to agree with it. Um, they don't have to even be able to relate to it. But but the listeners over the years have have gone with it. You know, have given me the freedom to say what I want, and that that makes it possible to make extremely personal statements um, that perhaps a lot of artists, you know would feel well I can go so far but I I can't really say that um I haven't got a I can't really say that no <laughs> filter <laughs> um so that and that can sometimes make for a uncomfortable listening I think mm. uh, but I you know I've arrived in that place where I that's that's what I am and that's what I do and that brings with it certain pressures because if if I'm not saying something that's that's really deep and really true, um, I feel like I'm. I feel like I feel disappointed that that, that I'm not really um, going to the bottom line um, because pe- people kind of I don't know if they expect me to go there but it's become part of what I'm about as an artist but it can be quite unpleasant to have to keep going there you know I mean I wrote a lyric for the new album that isn't on the new album um, and I've I've I've, I've compared um writing lyrics to to going down the mine in the past i think i alluded to it when i mean god um it was a mine you know it was a mine and it was mine and in the darkness and all of that um and i wrote i wrote a lyric about that about um god how does it go deeper digging digging or out of the mind, got to dig deeper every time. Face the music all alone. Where the seam is all exhausted, there's just stone. Um, and I was trying to express that, you know, that impulse and that need to go ever deeper. And you do get to a point where you just haven't got anything anymore. Mm. And that's um, that's the dilemma. After how many albums have we made now? Yeah, I've probably I've probably done thirteen or fourteen with the band, haven't I now? Um, or more, uh, and that you do. There is always that fear that you'll you'll just have nothing left to say. But there's always odds and sods, you know, that seem to seem to come to light when I'm in a corner. Um, Oliver. I think it's Watsky, uh, W-A-T-Z-K-E. Uh, but we'll go, anyway, I've got it wrong, Oliver, but I apologise. Watsk, 
Could be Vods. Could oh, oh, right, okay. Could yeah. Be, oh, you know, who knows? Who knows? Um, if he Santa does. would grant you a wish to have a band play a Marillion cover song, which band would it be and which song? The Talking Heads. Wow, that's quick. <laughs> I'd love to see the Talking Heads play, play a Marillion cover. That would be hysterical. <laughs> Uh, what could they do? God, I don't know. They could do drilling holes. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> this is not my beautiful house. <laughs> a woman arrived in a panic with a picnic. That could be quite good fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> or Massive Attack. Massive Attack. Be, be, be great to hear Massive Attack. Do well. It's all. It's great to hear Massive Attack. Actually, <laughs> do anything. But it, do anything. But it'd be great to hear Massive Attack. Not not one of our tunes. Right. I, 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 I think they would surprise you anyway. Uh, so choosing a song and it, trying to imagine which song you'd like them to do. Um, I'm I'm, sh- I'm sure they could do something with anything. You know. Um, goodness me Um, I mean there's a song on the you see there's a song on the new album um, Maintenance Drugs which which is part of the the last song Care the first section of that it's called Maintenance Drugs and that's very massive attacky in the sense that it's a really dark dark groove so, so they could kind of do that, but I, I know that if someone held a gun to Three uh, D's head and made him cover a Marillion tune, he'd cover something that sounded nothing like them, and and it would turn, you know, and but it would be them, and mm. that's that's what you want to do, really. Yeah, you take something and turn it inside out. So, Talking Heads or Massive Attack? <laughs> yeah, and letting them. Letting them choose. Yes. Yeah, would be that would be the fun of it, wouldn't it? Mm. To see what they'd come out with. We ought to perhaps think about this for a future episode of, of maybe saying, right, well, let's pick 10 or 12 bands to do a Merlion cover album. But <laughs> the, but they're going to have free reign over the songs. So we're not going to... So all we're going to do is come up with the artists and right. almost say, right, okay, let's, let's see what those 12 artists would be. Because you'd... You know, massive attack. Talking heads, fine, but I could. There'd be quite a nice mix of people you could go to and say, right, come and have a crack, have a crack at Murley and Jim. Be like fantasy football, wouldn't it? Yeah, we'd be we'd be bedeeling Skinner for <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> um, Adam Lee. Um, I was at the Holidays in Eden gig at Hammersmith Odeon way back when. This is already going to start a challenge, I think. Oh, I was at that. <laughs> there you are. See, brilliant. Thanks, Adam. Nice answer. Um, it was the infamous, infamous blind man from the village joke moment that was triggered by a slide projector failure. To this day, <laughs> wait for this because this is great. To this day, I've often wondered what were the slides of. Really? Oh, did, did, did you never find out? Well, what it was, we, we, we did, in fact, it even got mentioned in the last, in one of the, one of the episodes of the last diary uh, reading, volume one. Um, I had this idea while I sang a collection to have a little, little slideshow, a really kind of lo fi, uh, like a home slideshow um, on a little screen. Um, of little grainy pictures of of girls, each you know, of, you know each of a girls, but sta- different women standing in the same spot, same which is what the song's about. And so we went to the Great Walk out the back of Windsor Castle, and we we we, we took we took slides of lots of different girls and. Um, the people from EMI said, oh, we should get the Radio 1 girls to do it because, you know, that, <laughs> there's never any harm in, in schmoozing the Radio 1. So we had all these girls who worked for the BBC and they were all, they were all bussed out to Windsor. And um, 
we had a photographer there and he was taking pictures of, of of them all, you know, one at a time. And I think we even got girls in from the behind the bar and the and the pub and the Windsor Castle and um that was the same day that at the end of that all the girls got in one bus and went back to London and the band got in another bus and drove to Malham in Yorkshire to to shoot the dry land video. Yes. So yes. we went straight to Malham after that. So then anyway, we, we had this little um, carousel projector with all the slides of the girls in, in it and I was supposed to stand and sing the song and press the button. You know, and it was supposed to jig round. Anyway, invariably failed, um, and it was quite a relief when 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 that part of the tour was over and didn't have to do it anymore because it it just didn't seem to work. Um, technology that will work perfectly happy at home in your living room for whatever reason tends to jam, snag, and just not work on 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 stages you know, when you're really relying on it. So it was just pictures of girls for a collection. Right, right. I didn't realise, of course, you'd have to, I was going to say, I didn't realise you'd taken the photos, but then why would you have had a load of photos of a load of girls in the same place anyway? So, of course, you had to go out and manufacture Yeah, it had to be commissioned. I mean, mean, you two would have done it on top of, you know, Mont Blanc or something or (laughs) on top of... (laughs) On top of the Statue of Liberty, <laughs> we did it in Windsor Great Park. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Windsor Great Park's not a bad. No, no, it's, no. No, it's a nice view. It adds to it adds to the kind of because there's a dark, a really dark, quite dark side to that song, isn't there? Yeah, that, it's that, horrible. You know, yeah, it does. <laughs> so it was it was nice of you to really hone in on that darkness. <laughs> This is yeah, a really, it's, really it's odd serial little... killer sort of <laughs> song, yeah, it really, is. isn't it? It's horrible. Yeah. It, nothing to do with me. It came out of the mad mind of John Helmer. Yeah. You see, Picture House, who I think they supported the band, didn't they, at one point? Yeah. Um, and they wrote they wrote a serial killer song, but it had quite a you know quite an upbeat vibe to it. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe maybe John should have tried that. I really liked Picture House. Picture House, yeah. Picture House, great. I saw Picture House support um, Meatloaf. Would you believe? Really? Yeah, I had to go and see Meatloaf. Having grown up with Bat Out of Hell and all that kind of stuff, I just had <laughs> when when the opportunity came up, I had to go and see Meatloaf. And he was as over the top as you'd, you. He was everything you'd want him to be. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I met him. Yeah, of course you met him. Yeah. Yeah, he's. I think he gets a mention in the. He in, does. He in does. Volume two. <laughs> Uh, and and he was everything I wanted him to be, absolutely. Comp- but but they were the support, Brilliant. And, and and they were and and on the back of that, I bought a couple of the the CDs while I was there. Um, and they and yeah, they've got a little a little ditty about serial killers. I'll send it to you. That make a right. nice crooncast. I liked them a lot as people. I liked oh, their music. We all did. We used to all stand at the side of stage and watch their set, which we re- we don't do that often. No. And uh, I think we got up and did a. We got up and did songs with them as well. I think we did a... They were big crowded house fans. Yeah, yeah, you could and really I th- tell. I think we got up and did How Will You Go with them. Mm. Yeah, you could. Re- you can really tell. They, they, there's a song uh, on one of the albums called Fear of Flying, which is absolutely superb um, re- and, and, and it's very crowded house-esque. But they had that quirky lyrical side as well. That, that, that obviously, you know, crowded house I've got as well. Um, but no, I thought they were a fab band. But yeah, they did do mm. a little... Serial killer ditty. I'll send it. Um, I'll, I, it's called Fan Club, I think. I'll send it over to you. Um, but yes, anyway. I wonder how they're doing. I hope they're all right. I think they're still. I looked kind of fairly success. recently, and I think they're still they're still going and uh, um, doing the. I think those early years is is still the bit that people honed in on. So from the fan base, looking at what they play live and what have you, it's still those early two or three albums that uh, where a lot of the materials run from. But I think they're doing okay, and they're still doing. Still doing things. I don't know if it's all full time, but they still they regularly get back together. Yeah, so, nice bunch uh, of guys. Maybe, maybe we'll to seek them out for a future tour. Yeah, well, it might be nice to have a, a, the return of Picture House. Yeah. They were they were a good time bunch, and their, they, their they music were was good. And I think they're the kind of band that Marillion fans would really appreciate. 
Yeah, they you know they lighten the mood, but that that's not to denigrate their music in any way. They you know they write good songs, but they've got a really positive, upbeat attitude, as you say. And mm. uh, I think you need that when we're about to come on stage and depress the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to do one more question. And then what we'll do is we'll save the rest for next time. So over 88 and 89, we'll finish these questions off. So I'll do one more and then we'll go into a bit of diary because we're on the first section of volume two, aren't we? Yes, we're on the very beginning of volume two. And uh, you could be forgiven for thinking I work quite hard if you read. if you I was reading it earlier to myself and uh, it's, it's a very sleep-deprived, never-stop-working kind of, section uh of, of my life this so um yeah it's not very rock and roll at all it's uh it's more like um some bloke who's who's got three jobs gig economy <laughs> steve h gig economy right exactly. karen chambers uh Marillion music lifted me during the pandemic and it's who i turn to um when feeling a bit low um can i ask h who he listens to to raise his spirits. Ooh. Um, mm, 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 mm. Well, I've got a sort of a compilation tape that I put on. Um, that it's not a tape, you know, a compilation playlist that uh, I put on. And I don't know, Bob Marley. Um, you can't go wrong with Three Little Birds, to be honest, by by Bob Marley. That's that's a cracker. Um, in fact, an old fella in the village who was the sort of soul of the village when, when we moved in, uh, an old old boy called Raymond, and he he was the guy who used to leave his front key in the in the door. Um, and I got the key left in the outside of the unlocked door from that line from 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 him because he used to um he had that level of trust but he also had nothing worse nicky <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I knocked on his door and went raymond you've left your key in the front door oh don't you move that boy he said don't you move that he said if it's there i know where it is i'll only lose it he said, i've got nothing worth stealing anyway and he, so he used to leave his key in the door on the outside and uh, he was a he was a fantastic character, and he passed away a few years back. And um, we we me me and this other guy who, who was who, who I think was his nephew or his great nephew um, did three little birds at his at his funeral, um, and it's it's such a you know every little thing's going to be all right. It's such a great sentiment mm. when you when you're feeling low, and uh, Bob Marley and the Whalers tend to generate a feeling and a groove that that is um, unstoppable and wonderful, and and uplifting. Uh, so you know Bob Marley um, burning down a house by talking heads always lifts me. Um, What's that song? The New Radicals. You only get what you get. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, that's on my running mix. I love that. That's a cracker. Mm. Um, Sounds like the seventies Stones a bit, doesn't it? Late seventies, early eighties Stones a bit. Yeah, yeah, mm. fantastic. So yeah, on the beach by Chris Rear as mm. well. I really like that. So there's all sorts on there. I mean, the Beatles. Birthday by the Beatles. Mm. Is uh, is always going to lift you? It's got such a great vibe. Don't know. Can't can't think. But well, I think you know. I think there's a good a good few there. Uh, I'd not well, remembered on the beach. Talk, talking heads, really. You know, I've, I've, we're one of those few artists that could write a really happy song that was cool, hmm. that wasn't in any way cheesy. Um. Crowded house too. I was just say I was just say crowded house. Thinking about it, you know, uh, yeah. particularly some of the stuff on Woodface. Exactly. Well, well, our alarm clock is. Uh, Lynetta uses um, what's that song? It's only natural. Oh. Um, ice will melt, water yeah. will boil. Yeah. Is that the first one on that? It might, might be a track two or something on on Woodface. It's an absolute killer. 
And uh, so we, we wake up to that every morning to, before the school run. So, and it starts with that thing um, and then kicks off. And I always get a little little tinge of sadness because uh, I was fortunate to know Paul Hester, and mm. he, uh, the drummer. And he's such a great drummer. And uh, his drumming on that song is fantastic. It's absolutely perfect for the track. Um, and, of course, uh, he, he, he took his own life in a park in Sydney mm. about 10 years ago. And Oh, man, I was just so gutted because he was such a lovely bloke. But he was manic depressive and he was prone to to going down going down the hole, you know. Mm. But um, yeah, crowded house. Crowded house. That that's, that 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 always gets you going as well. They can write a good happy song. Mm. Yeah, it's a good choice. Good choice. Right, we'll leave it there, and we'll we'll, we'll nip off for the first section of diary from volume two, uh, mm. and then we'll we'll get back and have a bit of a, a wrap up. Mm. In your eyes by Peter G as well. That's it. That's a cracking track if you want if you want lifting. Now um, you see that was in a that was in a film called Say Anything. The light, the heat. John Cusack was in and he and he and he holds a, a ghetto blaster up and plays that song to a to to the the the, the love of his life. Uh, stand, mm. stands on his I don't think Matt stands on his car roof and plays it. And I never forget that scene. It's a great song, that fantastic mm. song. Brilliant live as well. He does an incredible extended version of it live. Mm. Um, you know, really fantastic. Yeah, good good shout. Anyway, on to a bit of diary. First oh, session, sh- volume two. Where are you taking right. us? We're going to Barcelona. The car's gonna get lost. It's gonna arrive late. I'm gonna I'm gonna have had no sleep. Um and, and not for the last Bar- time in this diary. Not for the last time in this diary. Uh, and there's gonna be a smell of sewage in the dressing room. Here it comes. Nineteen ninety eight. Saturday, tenth of January. Home, Barcelona. Web convention. One of the great myths of rock and roll is that it's a process that goes on after nightfall or, at the very worst, no earlier than mid-afternoon. If only. And so it was that at 5.45am my alarm clock demanded I should go downstairs, decide which trousers to take to Barcelona, shower, pack my smalls, check I'd assembled the necessary technology, dat player, floppy disk, reference CD of the forthcoming ambient album, and be ready for the car, which would take Stuart Every, our engineer, and me to Luton Airport. At 6.45, the driver arrived at the front door looking flustered. I've driven all over North Aston and I can't find Stuart's house, he bellowed. Stuart doesn't live in North Aston, so it was hardly surprising. Every trip starts with a fuck-up. I've come to expect it. We're going to be late. I told him I'd show him the way, and could he please keep his voice down before he woke the entire village? Trust me to get a driver who whispers at the same volume as Richard Burton doing King Lear. I couldn't find my wallet. It turned out to be outside in the car. I crept upstairs to say bye-bye to Sue, Sophie and Niall. Sophie was awake and had turned on her bedroom light. She was already climbing out of bed in case I left without remembering her. Niall was still fast asleep and I wouldn't have woken him, but he'd asked me to when he went to bed last night. I stirred him halfway out of sleep and kissed him goodbye. He probably won't remember it happening. I said goodbye to Sue and made my way outside before remembering my passport. Phew, that was close. I directed the driver back to Stuart's place to find a little pile of guitar cases already outside his house. We loaded it all into the estate murk in the darkness and set off at high speed. Luton beckons. As we made our way across Buckinghamshire and Bedfordshire, the dawn began to break in spectacular magenta and pink hues over the hills. Stuart and I chatted about Mo Molum, Colonel Gaddafi, Princess Di, MI6, Waddesdon Manor, and what a long way from Barcelona 
Dunstable seems to be. I bemoaned the fact that I hadn't had a cup of coffee yet this morning, although time was much too tight to consider stopping for refreshment. We made good time and arrived in Luton Airport at 8.15, where Pete T and Steve R were already waiting. We checked in courtesy of the unfriendly debonair rep and made our way through to the departure lounge for the long-awaited first coffee of the day. By some miracle, no one had forgotten their passport. I would have lost money on that. The flight was uneventful, if not a little cold. We disembarked onto the tarmac at Barcelona Airport to discover quite a chilly day, more or less the same temperature as England. When we came through into the arrivals lounge, we were greeted by a small gang of Spanish fans who had come to welcome us and to escort us to the Hotel Gaudi. I checked into room 319, unpacked and called home to discover that it's warm and sunny in England. I returned downstairs to meet up with Pete, Steve, Stewart and the fan club to go to lunch. By now it was approaching two in the afternoon and I still hadn't had breakfast, so I was looking forward to something to eat. We drove down to the waterfront area, modernised for the Olympics in 1992, and walked along by the crowded yacht marina to a restaurant among a line of many restaurants, bars and nightclubs, where we had a pleasant lunch of avocado and seafood. Everything seems to have been organised by two chaps called Ivan and Gabriel, and they seem to be well on top of things. This would later be borne out by smooth-running events at the gig. They're a friendly bunch, these Catalonians. Nothing seems to be too much trouble, and they're helpful and respectful, without being too in-your-face. A common phenomenon with fan clubs. Only natural and all, but it can get a bit wearying. After lunch, we popped back to the hotel for 15 minutes so that Steve could phone home. I had a quick hot bath to remove the chill from my bones. It did the trick. I wasn't cold for the rest of the day. We assembled once again downstairs and were taken to Radio Catalonia to perform a couple of songs with the acoustic guitars and have a chat with the local DJ, who apparently is into the music. While he interviewed us, he watched two TVs, both tuned into the Manchester United vs Tottenham game. While we were talking, Ryan Giggs put one in to make it 1-0, but I don't know the final score. The radio studio was on the ground floor, with two corner windows to the street outside, where a small crowd of fans had gathered. So, while we talked, and then performed, we were silently cheered on by them through the double glazing. From inside, it was like playing to an aquarium of people. I had no monitors or headphones, I just sang in the room, which was studio dead, so I really had no idea what it might sound like. It all seemed to have gone okay, although Stuart later said the compression on the broadcast sound was so severe that everything was squashing like mad when I sang louder. We said bye-bye and signed a couple of things out in the street before the 20-minute drive to return to the venue. When we arrived, there was already a local band called Arcane on stage sound-checking. We dropped our bags in the dressing room downstairs, which smelled distinctly of sewage. There's some unexplained relationship between the Spanish language and the distant aroma of drains. You'll find the two seem to coincide wherever you go in the world. I used to think it was something to do with the heat, or a failure to bother with U-bends in the plumbing. But in Barcelona today, it's as chilly as England, and I had a good look around the dressing room, and all the sinks and toilets appear to be correctly installed. Maybe there's no mains drainage. Maybe they pump everything into the space above the suspended ceiling. It certainly smelt like that in the opening band's dressing room. Back upstairs on stage, I got to grips with the hired T3 keyboard. I'd brought a disc with my sounds on it. The internal battery was flat, so it wouldn't retain any information in the event of a mains failure. Scary. Also, the keyboard wasn't weighted and the keys were sticking, so it was an awkward machine to deal with, as my later performances would bear out. I might as well get my excuses in. The monitors were, however, very good, so I could hear myself singing really clearly. We sound-checked for quite a while, trying to remember the arrangements of all the songs. In retrospect, a second day's rehearsal wouldn't have gone amiss. 
After sound check, we returned to the dressing room for back-to-back interviews until stage time at 10.30. I was answering questions, smiling for the camera, trying to write set lists, rehearsing my hello, how are you's in Catalan, which is markedly different to Spanish, e.g. moltes gracias as opposed to muchas gracias, and trying to get changed all at the same time. Five minutes off at this point in the day would have been handy. Well, we hit the stage around 10.40 and felt our way through the show like three blind men crossing a familiar room after someone had rearranged the furniture. The crowd forgave all the mistakes, even applauding Steve R's clangor during Made Again, and the room was packed to the sides and rear with a standing crowd of around 700. I was glad that we'd not come here with a 10-minute set. Top marks to the crowd for not booing my appalling mess of an attempt at the keyboard tinkles in Runaway. We returned to the stage for three encores, including a piano and voice version of Easter and an acoustic of Marvin Gaye's Abraham, Martin and John, which I dedicated on this occasion to Michael Hutchins. After the show, we sat in the corner of the room and signed tickets. Steve Dogarth on vocals, they said, and albums. We were at it for a couple of hours. I think we met everyone. We left the venue around 2.30 and were taken to a couple of clubs, the first being underground and packed so tightly that after one drink we escaped for our lives. The second was down by the sea and called the Tropicana. There were three Brazilian dancers up on a narrow stage, a boy and two tall black girls in glittery bikinis, sambering and salsering to the music. It took me back to Rio in a flash. There's nothing compares to the spirit and the rhythm of this art form. I'm totally into it. Although, being a white English boy, I'm not connected up in the right way to be able to do the dances. I wish I'd been born Brazilian. When the dancers took a break, I decided to return to the hotel, walking back with PT. I fell into bed around 5.30. It had been a 24-hour hard day's night. Sunday, 11th of January, Barcelona Web Convention. Enjoyed a much-needed lie-in after waking up the first time with no idea where I was. It's normal. We were to resume the schedule with the Bright Light Fan Club at 12 o'clock midday. So I got up, showered, packed, and made my way down to the reception bar in desperate need of coffee, arriving at around 12.15. The bar was full of fan club folk and fan club folk's friends. Steve R sat at the bar drinking coffee, eating croissants and reading a book as though he was in the room alone. No one ignores people quite as convincingly and unselfconsciously as Steve. He seems to live in the bubble of his own universe. I ordered and drank three cappuccinos in quick succession from the peculiar twin bar girls who were the most serious and ill-humoured bar staff I've ever experienced. The plan was to meet up and go sightseeing whilst being filmed by a couple of chaps from Barcelona TV. We didn't get going until two in the afternoon. I stood out in the street for a while next to the phenomenal Guel Palace, one of Antoni Gaudi's creations, a massive gothic psychedelic facade of wrought iron opposite the hotel. It's not so cloudy today, so I was enjoying the sunshine and the blue sky. Still not warm, though. At two o'clock, we walked across Las Ramblas, a wide avenue with market stalls down its centre, full of street performers, tourists and Barcelonans Sunday promenading with their families and down an adjoining street into the old part of town, where steep medieval walls reach upward, overlooked by remarkably well-preserved gargoyles. And we're back! First time, 2022. (laughs) Everything's happening, it's all on schedule. Um, and you you were overdoing a a web convention, mm. um, which isn't what we now come to think of as the conventions. Oh this no, is, it was very different back. There was much yeah. more low level back then. It wasn't like a you know a big full on gig, sound lights, and all of that. It was um, 
Oh, it was a gig, but it was a bit more like in a in a dodgy little club or a village hall or or whatever or whatever the the fan fans could cobble together, um, and we'd go over there really just to sort of mingle and do autographs and but we'd get up and do a few tunes, mm. so that it was more to do with making an appearance at a fan club do to 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 make it more important for them and to acknowledge the you know the people who were in the fan club just to mm. acknowledge their passion and, and and to go and wave and press the flesh um but then get up and maybe do scratch through a handful of songs on an acoustic guitar as well so they were very, very quite casual affairs really compared to the, the things we do now which are full on full on three night weekend yeah. shit gigs yeah. uh that there are you know there are i mean calling them conventions is is well it's like calling buckingham palace a cottage really <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna stop there just for a second because i think my door's about to go a with my interface. So I'll come back and I'm going to ask you what I was going to ask you next. Oh, all right. Yeah, you go and get your interface. But I don't know if it's not. I've just heard a van. Ah, the son of excitement. I know, I know. And and, 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 it's, and if it is, it's Dean, because Dean's our DPD driver. Oh, yeah. Because obviously they, they always tell you your DPD driver's called now. Yes, ours are all called Eastern European names. Are they? Thomas. Oh. And whatever, Gregor. <laughs> I'm making this up. <laughs> Gregor sounds slightly intimidating. <laughs> Does he only deliver under cover of darkness? <laughs> I wish mine was. Called, I wish my DPD driver was called Gregor. Slightly jealous now. Yes. Vampire deliveries. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We get our teeth into your parcel. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll go and check because otherwise yeah. we're going to be sat waiting, you aren't we? And, the ex- you go the ex- and check the excitement. Now I'll go and check my door. Hang on two seconds. Right. I'll entertain me, Sam, with these two tungsten halogen bulbs. Not Dean. Not Dean. Oh, what a disappointment. Not Dean. It wasn't Dean. It wasn't Dean. We've had snow. You're lying. You're lying. No, he woke up to snow this morning. Wow. Yeah. yeah it's not a lot, but enough. White over. You know, yeah. roads are all right, but there's definitely all the grass and everything. So how many of these, how many European fan club things did you have? I mean, obviously this is a Spanish one. There'll have been a German one. There'll have been a Dutch one. But how many How many were there in total? Goodness. Um French one? I think we did it. Yeah, we will have done French ones and, and we'd have probably done a Portuguese one and an Italian one. Um, so what's that? One, two, three, four, five or six. And then right. we we went over and did one in um, Pittsburgh that I remembered in, in the States as well. Wow. Uh, at one point. Uh, that might have been in the middle of a tour or it could have been a one-off. I just can't remember. Um but we've done a few. We've done a few over the years. And the, the Dutch ones were always, you know, a bit more, a bit more proper. Mm. Um, there was a there's a gig in Utrecht called the Tivoli, which holds about I don't know eight hundred, maybe even a thousand when it's rammed. And uh, we used to go and play there, and it used to be all sold out. And that was a fan club thing. So, you know, we'd go out and shake a few hands and do the photographs and do some autographs. Sometimes we'd just sit at a trestle table, you know, and everybody would file by. And then we'd get up and do a set. We'd do a proper set for the Dutch because they'd... The, the Dutch still are really the most organised of all the fan clubs and with the, with the highest membership. Um, the Germans are doing very well now, but, but weren't doing so well way back then. Uh, mm. Wasn't quite as organised. Um, 
but we would go and play um, a little little club in in Germany. Um, sometimes we'd go over and do do something in in, in Paris for the French or, or in Milan for the Italians um, or, or Lisbon for the Portuguese. So we, we had a few on the go. And then the Spanish one, of course, in, mm. um, in Barcelona. We've always had a good following in, the, the, in, in Catalonia. Um, the Catalans are a bit more like, the northern English as well. They're a bit, bit rougher and readier and down oh, to earth. Oh, a bit feisty, aren't they? Down to earth. You know, and, and I mean, I shouldn't generalise, but but on the whole, they're, they're more, they're more likeable because they're, they're more down to earth mm. as people. Um, I really like the Catalonians, the Catalans or whatever you'd call them, Catalonians. <laughs> Um, and Ivan and Gabriel get a mention in that diary piece because I think between the two of them they'd sort of organised it and Ivan later became a professional rock and roll promoter so he's Mm. promoting proper gigs now in in Barcelona and Gabriel went on to to do various jobs but, but uh, for some years, he managed the Palo San Jordi, which is the big thirty thousand capacity um, Olympic hall um, there, and you know everybody and uh, under the sun played there. Um, the um, you know Madonna did it, I think you two did it, and you name them, they did it. Bruce Springsteen did it. Um, and I think I've told you before. I, I was, I was gonna. I was invited by Gabriel to to go and watch the Rolling Stones rehearse because they yeah. were rehearsing in there. Yeah. Um, and um, then Keith fell out the palm tree, yeah. <laughs> and it never happened, which was a shame. Um, but Gabriel Gabriel ran the Palace and Geordie for a while. And his boss was the mayor of Barcelona, so that that was basically that was the only the only person who was more important than Gabriel was the mayor of Barcelona, and then he went to um, then he went to FC Barcelona. He went to Barcelona Football Club, so uh, he really has rubbed shoulders with the great and the good, and now he's in charge of. Uh, now he's in charge of bicycles, you know, the kind of Boris bikes. Oh, uh, yeah. Where you just get on a bike. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in charge of those for the, for the entire city of Barcelona. Not electric scooters, then? No, uh, the bikes, I think. I don't know right. if, he's, if he's doing the scooters as well. As well. But... Uh, well, he could send a couple of scooters over if he'd got scooters. They'd be quite fun. <laughs> I don't think he can just send them over. <laughs> He doesn't give them away for Christmas or anything. Well, we're going to have to go to Barcelona then. I've become almost like a brother to Gabriel. We call one another brother. We've we've been, you know, we're really we've been really thick together for years and years and years, and done all sorts together. Um, And uh, he's, you know, he always sends me a Christmas message and whatnot. Um, lovely person. I know all his family. I've stayed at his house, and so I'm very thick with Gabriel Perez. Right. Well, maybe maybe we should do a bit of a TCD away day. I think. <laughs> I mean, jump on an easy jet flight, get ourselves over to Barcelona, do a bit of on location recording. I think that'd work out well for a couple of episodes. On location recording. Oh right. Yeah. Go and have a ride on a scooter. Travel man. <laughs> The sights and smells of Barcelona <laughs> with Steve H. Yeah, well, a good excuse from it for a knees up. Well, it wouldn't be a bad. It wouldn't be a bad shout. You can, you mm. could, you know, channel your your kind of uh, what's his face, um, Cornish fella. Who was oh, the Cornish? Rick, Rick Stein. Yeah, you're Rick Stein. <laughs> channel a bit of Rick Stein. That'd mm. work. But didn't we? We could be a cross between Rick Stein and Michael Portillo. Now there's a cross. <laughs> Great food and salmon-coloured trousers. What more could you want? <laughs> what's he? What's it called? That book he's always got. 
Portillo. It's Bradshaw's, isn't it? Bradshaw's, that's it. The Bradshaw's yeah. Guide. The Bradshaw's Guide, yeah. He's forever banging on about his Bradshaw's. Mm. I must get a copy. I must get a copy. <laughs> which, I, which always makes me want to snigger every time he says it. <laughs> Fragging about your Bradshaws again. Fragging about, yeah. Just had a wow. just had a little rummage through my Bradshaws. <laughs> I bet you have, Michael. He looks like a man who's rummaged through a few Bradshaws, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. His, We're finishing on form, aren't in we? In his pink corduroys. Yes, yes. He's a man who's always got something something tasteful in peppermint. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I like Ma- Michael Portillo a lot more since he got on a train. I never used to like him when he was a politician, but I do like him on a train. Oh, I thought you meant since he left. Oh, no. <laughs> like him no. much more since you got on a train. There's a song. You can have that one. <laughs> right, well, that's us for 88. We're going to get back. We'll get back to you with 89 and we'll finish these questions off. So if you've not heard your question yet, it is coming. Uh, we'll get through the last ones. Um, and I'll, I'll wish you a very good week, Mr. Ace. Thank you very much. I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and get my hair cut. Cause, uh, right. It's looking a bit uh, long. Yeah, well, Simon Smith, my hair cutter, uh, yeah. he, he got sick towards the back end of last year. And so I went, I made an appointment to go and see him for my pre tour haircut. And uh, he was he was in hospital. He got oh. some. T- he, got, he hadn't got COVID, but he got a he got a, a chest infection, and he was really ill. So uh, I never managed to get a haircut before the tour, and I still haven't. So uh, I'm I'm looking. My my head looks a bit like a thatched roof at the moment because <laughs> my hair gets very thick. <laughs> I start looking increasingly like. <laughs> Like some kind of, I don't know, a ram. <laughs> like a ram. <laughs> Something you'd you'd find behind a dry stone wall. Right. Um, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go and try and get a haircut this week. Make me sound vaguely presentable. I think that's our that you know we're gonna get down to work as well. I've got a Zoom call at one with Lucy. Kind of. What are we going to do? Meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and try and get a timetable together for rehearsing for the conventions and getting mm-hmm. all that programmed and which, al- you know, what we're going to play, which albums we're going to visit and just generally start to get the ducks in a row, I think. And then I've got these two H Natural shows yes. in this month at Cavern on the 20th, which I think is sold out now in Liverpool, and Hamburg. Uh, the culture something or other <laughs> in Hamburg. I don't know if that's sold out or not, but um, I mean, of course, I don't know if either of these shows can happen. Um, I'm just crossing my fingers and toes that they can go ahead. But it doesn't, I mean, a, a kind of sweaty cellar <laughs> with a lot of people jammed shoulder to shoulder doesn't look good on paper, does it, in no. these om- Omicron times? So no. It, we may well be forced to cancel it. But uh, as, as I sit here now, it's all on. Right. Well, I'll leave, you, I'll leave you to that for your week then, and I'll catch up with you next time. All right, matey. Well, have a good week yourself. Indeed. And uh, thank you to, to all you lovely listeners. And uh, stay safe and uh, be happy. And if you can't be happy... Be fucking miserable. Thank you, Alan Thompson. Thank you, Paul Evans. The alarm by the bed rings the dreams from my head. It's a new day. Leave the flakes in the bowl, milk unopened. I'm gone, but I'm still late. Join the fight for a cab. Take our place in the jam and watch the clock again. There's a man in my head, I think he came from the screen, or the Bible. All he wants is for me to be strong, but I seem unreliable. You know, it gets so hard when everything you are is everything you don't want to be. But at the end of the day, you're the one that burns it all away. At the end of the day, you're the one that burns it all away.
So won't you show me the pictures you hold in your head? And can you lose me somewhere inside them all? Because there are colours that run through the heart of me that only you can see. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>